Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. You are listening to Getting the Order Right by Reverend Peter Yonker. So the last two weeks, I've had a sort of a mini-series on on Christian hope, so something very essential, right? Something central to the gospel, something central to our lives. And this week, before uh, we start our fall series, next week we start a fall series on hospitality, I thought I'd preach one more sermon that gets very close to the center of the gospel, something very central, the heart of the gospel. I'm going to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21, Galatians 2, 11 through 21. And this is, this is Paul uh, reflecting on what is at the heart of the gospel. And, and for him, what's really important at the heart of the gospel is getting things in the right order. Getting things in the right order. Now, I know that sounds strange. I will make it clear to you as I go on. And I should also say that I am indebted for some of my best insights in this sermon. I, I hope they're good. Um, to Tim Keller. Tim Keller preached a wonderful sermon on this text. So let's read the text together, Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 21. When Cephas, that's also Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel... I said to Cephas in front of them all, you're a Jew and yet you live like a Gentile and not a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. All children do it. Mom, mom, look at me. Dad, 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 see what I can do. Uncle Bob, Uncle Bob, look what I made. You go to the beach with your four-year-old niece. You're going to go for Labor Day afternoon. And you take your beach chair and your book because you're hoping to just read. She takes her sandcastle materials 
and you spend the afternoon reading, she spends the afternoon making sandcastles in the way that four-year-olds make sandcastles. And every time she finishes one, she says, Aunt Susie, Aunt Susie, look, look at my sandcastle. And you look up from your book, and what do you say? You say, oh, honey, that's wonderful. Well done. You are a great sandcastle maker. And you go back to your book, and she goes back to her sandcastle making. And this exchange, this look at me, well done exchange, is repeated roughly 4,000 times in that afternoon. This is a thing, right? All children do this. All children do this. Why do they do it? Well, obviously, they're looking for attention. But it's deeper than that. They're not just looking for attention. They're looking for affirmation. They're looking for significance. They're turning to you and asking for that affirmation because they want to understand what is it in this world that makes my life matter? What is it about me that counts for something? What is it that leaves a mark and makes me feel accepted and part of the community? And when you give them that affirmation, that's a clue for them that, that I matter. I have significance. It's deep affirmation. How deep is this need for affirmation? So deep that if young children don't get it in a positive way, they will go negative. Ask any kindergarten teacher. A child who for some reason is not getting any positive affirmation and can't find any affirmation at all, a child who is in a classroom or in a family and feels like no one is noticing anything about them, that they have no significance, they feel invisible, will do negative things, will misbehave just so someone will notice what they're doing. Because just knowing that you're out there, having someone turn their face towards you and say your name, even if it's in a negative way, is better than being invisible. That's how deep our need for affirmation and acceptance is. And of course, it's not just children who need it. We adults are a little more subtle. We don't say, hey, everyone, look at me, look at me. But we too need to understand that we matter, that the works of our hands are important, that people see us, that we make a mark in this world, that we are accepted. And that's what this passage is about. How to find significance, how to be accepted, how to matter in this world. Now maybe that surprises you to hear me say that. Maybe you think, I heard you read this passage, Peter, and it didn't sound like a passage about significance and acceptance. I, what I heard was a fight. A fight between Peter and Paul, where Paul was mad at Peter because of Peter's waffling dinner habits. On Monday, Peter would eat with the Gentiles, and he'd happily have a pork chop. On Tuesday, when the strict Christian Jews from Jerusalem, the people of James, showed up in town, all of a sudden, Peter was keeping kosher and treating the Gentiles like they were unclean. And Paul is pointing a finger at him and saying, you're being a hypocrite. That's true. That's all in this passage. But at the bottom is a question about what it means to find significance. This passage is about affirmation, and it's about the most important affirmation and significance you can find as a human being. Not the kind of affirmation you get if Aunt Susie compliments your sandcastle at the beach, but the kind of affirmation and acceptance we find 
when the Heavenly Father looks at the whole arc of our lives, the whole body of work, and says, well done. Hey, that's amazing. Great job. You are my beloved child. In you, I am well pleased. And that's real significance. It's great if Aunt Susie compliments your sandcastle, but if the Heavenly Father says, well done, over the arc of your whole life, that's an anchor for your soul. That's something you can build your whole life on. When you have that significance and that acceptance, that's an acceptance that holds you when everything else is shaking. Of course, our passage doesn't use the word affirmation or acceptance. Paul's word is justification. Justification. He uses it three times in verse 16, and then he uses a version of the Greek word which is translated as righteous in verse 21. But it amounts to the same thing. When you are justified, when we are justified by God, it means to be accepted by him, right? To have our sins washed away, to be declared part of his body, and to be in the center of his purposes. That's what it means to be justified. So there may be a, a, a sort of a fight between Peter and Paul in the surface of things, but underneath there's a question about how do we become justified? How do we be accepted by our Heavenly Father? And the dispute is about is the order of things. What's the proper order to receive that acceptance? In this passage, there are two views of the proper order of things to receive this acceptance, this significance from the Heavenly Father. One of the orders is the order held by the circumcision party. The circumcision party, those are the guys who came from James. And they're Christian people. They believe that Jesus is the Messiah. They believe they died and rose for them. But they also believe that in order to be a good Christian, you have to keep every single one of the Old Testament laws. So you have to keep kosher. You have to be circumcised. You have to keep all those moral laws. So for them, the order of acceptance is faith, obedience, and then acceptance. You have faith in Jesus, then to show your commitment, you keep all those laws and commandments and get yourself circumcised and do all those things, and then you receive the acceptance of the Heavenly Father. Their order is faith, obedience, acceptance. Paul says, no, that is absolutely not the gospel order. He says it in verse 16. We know, he says, that a person is not justified by the works of the law, not justified by obedience, but by faith in Jesus Christ. The order is faith, acceptance, obedience. Faith, acceptance, obedience. Faith, you receive and you put your trust in Jesus. Acceptance. He washes you clean by his blood and by his grace, he brings you into your family. You are absolutely accepted in him. And out of the joy of that acceptance with the Holy Spirit in your heart, you joyfully obey. Circumcision party is faith, obedience, acceptance. Paul's gospel is faith, acceptance, obedience. Are you accepted in order to obey or do you obey in order to be accepted? That's the heart. Okay, now I know some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, I'm in ninth grade catechism class. 
This seems like tedious abstract theology. I, I'm not really sure what this has to do with my everyday life. Please don't let your head go to that place because truly getting this order right means everything for the spirit of your life. When you get this order right, the spirit of your life completely changes, which is why Paul's so worked up about this thing. Here's the truth. Every single human being in this world lives by one of those two orders. Most of the major religions of this world follow the circumcision order. Most of the major religions of this world order themselves by faith, obedience, acceptance. Faith, you put your trust in that way, in that program. Obedience, you follow the program regularly, you observe all its observances. Acceptance, you prove yourself you're accepted. Faith, obedience, acceptance. Most of the major religions of this world, that's how they look. Faith, obedience, acceptance is also our default way of acting in this world. Go back to that four-year-old girl I talked about at the beginning of the sermon. She was following one of the two orders. Which of the orders was she following? The circumcision order. She was looking for acceptance. She had faith that her Aunt Susie would be one who would give her acceptance and give her guidance. She built sandcastles, that's her obedience, that's her action, and then she showed her obedience to Aunt Susie and received it. Somewhere along the line, this little girl has figured out, has learned, probably by watching adults, that that's how you get acceptance in this world. She's already learned to practice the circumcision order. The circumcision order, faith, obedience, acceptance is the dominant ethos of our entire society. We live in what sociologists are increasingly calling a meritocracy. In a meritocracy, you get ahead in this world by proving yourself, by proving you have merit. And if you have merit in a certain area, you are rewarded, you are advanced. You get into a good school by proving your merit. You get a good job coming out of school by showing them your resume and proving your merit. You advance in the company by proving your merit. The order is faith, obedience, and then you're accepted to the next level. And sometimes that's fine, right? There are places in our world where faith, obedience, acceptance has to be the order. If you're running a baseball team and you need a new shortstop, right, you got to make sure that the guy has some merit, right? He has to be able to field the ball and throw it to first base. If he can't do that, if he doesn't have that merit, he shouldn't be your shortstop. If you're running a university and handing out degrees to engineers, you can't just give the degree to someone who walks in the door. You have to make sure that the person who wants that engineering degree understands the material can do the work. So, of course, there are places in life where faith, obedience, acceptance is the proper order of things. But if faith, obedience, acceptance is the place where you are trying to anchor your heart if faith, obedience, acceptance is the order at the center of your soul, you will be lost, you will be miserable, and you will be so, so tired. Everything in your life will be anxious. Your relationship with God will be anxious. 
You'll never be sure of your status with him. You know, I know I've done a lot of good things in my life. Heavens knows I come to church almost every Sunday. I've served on committees. But, you know, I've, I've done some not so good things in my life. And if I'm honest, when I'm in church, I don't think about God all the time. I don't even like myself that much. How do I know that when I face my maker that he will say, well done? Or maybe he'll say something else. How do I know? Got to pile on more obedience. And it's not just God. If faith, obedience, acceptance is the order of your life, you'll be anxious in all your relationships with all the people around you because everywhere you go, every room you walk into, you will walk into the room, examine, look around, feel like, okay, what do I need to do to be accepted in this room and try to practice the obedience to gain that acceptance? Am I smart enough for this room? Am I cool enough for that party? Am I righteous enough and put together enough for this room? Everywhere you go, you'll be trying to prove yourself and you will be insecure and you will be exhausted. Paul rejects that order of things. He rejects the order of the circumcision group. You are not acting in line with the gospel. You can hear it. He's thinking about order there. You got the order wrong. You're not acting in line with the gospel. A person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus. The order of things is faith, and then acceptance, and then joyful obedience. We put our faith in Jesus. He washes us clean, puts his spirit in our hearts, and out of joyful thankfulness for that acceptance, and with the spirit in our heart, we go forward to live for him. Here's the picture that Paul has in mind of the order of things. Two things happen when we have faith in Jesus. First, we're justified. So our sins are washed away. We're given a clean bill with respect to our sins. That's the part of justification you all know about. It's like a verdict of not guilty. And that's great. That's only the beginning of what happens when we are in Christ. Paul also wants, he doesn't just want to give us a not, verdict, not guilty verdict, he also, Jesus also wants to change our hearts. So by the Holy Spirit, he plants himself in our hearts and he starts to kill off that old self, that old self that walks around in the world and feels like it has to prove itself every day. The Spirit starts to kill that off and bring to life a new self, a new creation who lives out of joy in doing the work of God. What is this like? And I apologize in advance for this analogy. It's the only thing I could think of and it kept coming to me. This is like a zombie movie in reverse. Now I know that some of you hate zombie movies and I'm I'm with you on that, but all of us know how they work. Right? In a zombie movie, if a regular person gets bit by a zombie, what happens to them? Slowly, They start to necrotize. They start to become the living dead. They start to become these creatures of death. Paul wants to say in the gospel is exactly the opposite of that. When Christ gets you, when Christ bites you, when you become in Christ, this creature of life starts to slowly grow inside of you and you become a new creation. You are changed from one degree of glory to the next, little by little day by day. And that's why Paul says, it is no longer I who live, right? 
It's no longer I who live. Something has been crucified. I've been crucified with Christ. That, that part of me is, is slowly dying and it is Christ who lives in me. That new life is, is, is growing up in me. So I'm still a person who does God's law. I still love to do works of compassion and justice, but I don't do them to impress people or to fit in. I do it because the love of God is taking me over. Faith acceptance, obedience. When you learn that rhythm to your life, I and mean, you've got to learn it every single day, right? Because the pressure of this world is always pushing us back to the other one. When you learn that rhythm to your life, everything changes. One final analogy to try to explain this. I live on the southeast side of Grand Rapids in Indian Village. It's a nice little neighborhood, sort of uh, Burton, Breton and Plymouth, that's, that's where I live right there. And that means that if, if I'm doing a project and I need to run to Lowe's, the best way for me to get out is to go down a road in my neighborhood called Onekama. It's, my neighborhood is full of twisty roads, but Onekama leads right out to Breton. I can get right down to Lowe's. It's really fast. When I first moved into that neighborhood, I took Onekama all the time. But I always had to restrain myself in my impatience to get to Lowe's because the speed limit on Onekama is 25 miles an hour, like all residential roads. But I'm an impatient person, so I always wanted to get down the road, but I, I, didn't, I didn't want to, to lose social acceptance. I didn't think it would be a good idea if, if I got pulled over and there were strobes behind me and a policeman looking in my window and I was a minister at LaGrave. <laughs> so, when I went out of Onekama, I decided I'd drive around 30 miles an hour. Okay, that I figured that was pretty safe in my haste. More recently, families with children have moved into that neighborhood. Two of those families are LaGrave families. <laughs> Which means they're part of this family that I love. And I know the names of these kids. These are kids who come up for children's sermon. I know their names. They know me. And guess what? Now when I drive down on Ekema, I drive more slowly than I used to. But not because I have to force myself, but because I'm looking for those kids. I want to see if I can see them playing in the yard, having their childlike fun. And maybe if they see me, I can wave to them. Of course, I don't want to hit them. But more than that, I want them to live in a neighborhood where they can play and know that they are loved. Do you see the difference between those two things? In one, I'm restraining myself because I don't want to lose face in society. In the other, I'm doing it out of love. Guess which of those two ways makes for a more joyful and fulfilling trip down on Ekema. What is true for my little trip down that street is what Paul is holding out for the entirety of your life in Christ Jesus. You are accepted. You are beloved. You don't have to live a life where you feel like you've got to prove yourself every single place you go. You are beloved and forgiven through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Holy Spirit is making you a new creation. Live in the truth of that. Let it fill you up and let it set you free.
Amen. Lord Jesus, you know that all of us here in this room have been trying so hard this week. Um, we've been trying to be obedient, trying to do the right thing. Sometimes we've failed at that, Lord, and sometimes we've succeeded. But Lord, here we come back to the center in this place with our brothers and sisters. And, and once again, before we start trying for another week, we put our feet on the rock that cannot be moved. We attach our heart to the grace which cannot be shaken. We give ourselves to you again. Lord, fill us with that grace so that we may go out and joyfully obey. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.